You are valued and loved by us because you are valued and loved by God. Pastor Ed Taylor explains. Here at Calvary, I want you to realize we value you for who you are, not what you do. And we want you to learn that. So you're precious and important to Jesus Christ, not because of all the great things you might do for him, but just because you're you. He loves you. Yes, you. Uh Uh-huh. The ones that are thinking, he loves me? Yes, he loves you. He loves you just as you are. This is amazing grace. A compelling proof that God loves you just as you are is that he gave his son and saves you by grace. That changes everything. It's time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. As we continue in Romans chapter 10, we'll be reminded we can't establish our own righteousness. So it's provided by God and received by faith. That changes the way we relate to God, the way we serve and the way we give to him as well. To explain, here's Pastor Ed. The motive of the heart is important. It's not, I'm doing for you, God, because I have to. I'm doing for you, God, because I'm a Christian, and after all, this is what Christians do. But it is a free-flowing love motivation to serve the Lord with joy and gladness. Now, with all that in mind, flip over to Romans chapter 10, and we'll tie it all together. And I realize, I recognize, whether you're here in the sanctuary today or tuning in on the Internet or even on the radio, for some of you, conviction has already fallen because you have been unfaithful with your finances. But you know, God, he is able to make a way to bring you back to faithfulness, to bring you back to a place of dependence and trust, to stretch you. And it's my prayer that's what you do, that in your life you yield yourself so much to the Holy Spirit, that money, time, ministry, whatever it might be that God is asking from you, that you would freely give and be obedient in that area. Not running away or shying away from God's will, but running into it. And so it's been some time since we were in Romans, so let's pick back up at verse 1. We really left off at verse 4, and we'll tie it all together. Christianity is not spelled capital D capital O. You've got to understand that. Verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. They created their own righteousness. The Messiah had come. Remember chapter 9, 10, and 11. Paul takes time to address the Jews in the audience. And he's describing what error they made. They clung to the law. Instead of running to the Messiah that was promised, they held on to the law for their righteousness. And they created their own form of righteousness. And because of that, notice verse 4. Now, Paul explains that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And therein lies the tension for us as believers. Will we relate to God legally by the law and actions and duty and performance? Is that how we relate to God? 
Do I live in Christ by my deeds? You know what that looks like is that when your deeds are going really well, I mean, when you're doing well, you're like, yes, I feel good about God. I feel good about life because I've had a good week. I've had a good time in devotions. I've been at church. I've done the things that I thought I was supposed to do and I have to. And then when you're doing well, boy, you feel real good. But when you slip or you fall or you stumble and you're the one that's been relying on your law and you broke it, you get bummed out and discouraged. And you and I, if we choose to live that way, apart from the grace of God, we're setting ourselves up for even a greater failure. And so Christ is the end of the law of righteousness. Notice, for who? Those that believe. Those that have a belief in their heart. Will I trust and relate to God by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Or will I keep trying and doing and working and never really feeling like I've pleased God at all? That's the tension here. It's the continual tension even in our lives. Will I relate to God by my works or will I relate to him by faith? You'll remember back in Romans chapter 7, you don't need to turn there. We learned that the law is holy, just, and good. And it is. But it wasn't given to man as a means by which you and I would be made righteous. I mean, listen, you could keep the law 99.99%. I mean, you could keep 99%. That would be a pretty good percentage. And very few people ever get there. That's, that'd be pretty good. But do you know, according to James in chapter 2, that that one small percentage, if you fail in one area of the law, you know what the Bible says? You have failed in its totality. And now the law becomes a judgment of condemnation in your life. If you choose to live by the law, it will condemn you. It will continue to condemn you. And the law has its place. It, It can change outward behavior. I mean, it can speak to you outwardly. It can speak to you and me about my behaviors and about what I do and what I don't. It can command and it can demand from the outside, but it can never change you on the inside. You need Jesus. He'll change you on the inside. He'll change you in your mind and in your heart. Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes because the purpose of the law is fulfilled in him by everyone that believes. Verse 5. He describes Romans chapter 10 now. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. So this is what this attitude of being a a law keeper. You know, I'm going to keep the law. Well, the person that's keeping the law is the man who does those things shall live by them. And that is the manner of life. Tell me what to do. Tell me what not to do. And that's how I'll live. But, verse 6, the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Oh, don't say in your heart who will ascend to heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. It's a heart thing. It's not, I'm going to work really hard to bring Jesus down. Or I'm going to really work hard to bring Jesus up. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to do more because then I'll have more of Jesus. No, he says, no. Here's the word of faith, the righteousness that you and I live in. You know, I love Jesus. He loves me. I have all of him, and he has all of me. It's that simple. It's the word of righteousness, the word of faith that's in our mouths, in our hearts, right where we're at, the life that we live. Christianity is not spelled D-O. Christianity is not a religious treadmill where you're moving and moving all the energy on the energy, but you're making no progress. Treadmills trip me out. I don't understand why people get on those things. 
I just don't get it. They make no progress. They get a lot of, you know, the thing says you ran 50 miles, but you didn't run anywhere. You're right there. You're in the same place. <laughs> Bodily exercise does profit a little, I understand. But it's the old days before the treadmills. Remember, they used to take a 10-speed and pop it up on those little, what do you call those things? Sticks, stakes, whatever. You know, you pop them up. What do you call them? Somebody say louder. Stand. There you go. Put it up on a stand, and you're, that's what I was looking for. And you're riding it, riding it, riding it, riding your little heart's content, and then, boom, you're not making any progress. Christians can live their life that way. You got all the energy, all the effort, and, and you think the solution, just a little bit more energy, a little bit more effort, but what, what's really required is a little more surrender, a little more letting go. Christianity, if we were to use that analogy, is not spelled capital D, capital O. It's better spelled capital D, capital O, capital N, capital E. It's done. Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sin. He has paid the price to draw you and me near. That on the cross, Jesus Christ took the full weight of humanity's sin upon himself. And now by walking in faith, the work of salvation is done in him. And you can't add anything to it. Neither can I. He is the end of the law unto righteousness to everyone that believes. You know, when a family comes to Calvary here and they make that decision to say, you know, this is my home. This is where our family is going to be. This is where we're going to raise our kids. I believe God's called us to Calvary Chapel and, and we're going to plant down here, Ed, and we're going, to, we're going to serve here. What do you want us to do? And I think a lot of the expectation in a question like that is that we're going to point them in one of the ministry needs. Well, we need help in the children there. We need help over here. We need help over there. And many people are surprised by the answer that I give or one of the pastors might give. And we'll say, what do you want us to do, Ed? And we'll answer something along the lines, we want you to do nothing. Just hang out for six months. Just sit and become a part of the fellowship family. Maybe get involved in one of the smaller groups, the men's ministry, the women's ministry. Get involved in a small home fellowship. But we don't want you to do anything. Oh, but Ed, I'm gifted. I've got great spiritual gifts. And I'll tell you from our perspective, you know, as we pray for people to, to be brought in and, Lord, we need this spiritual gift or we need somebody that's expert in this. And then we meet you and find out that this is your second week. We're like, oh, man, we could use you right now. But we have learned that it is very, very important for you to wait on the Lord for around six months is what we have here. To wait on the Lord, to sit become a part of the fellowship family. And there's a couple predictable responses when the six-month waiting period is mentioned. One of them, a person is relieved. And they go, yes, we didn't want to do anything. We just asked because we are Christians, but we don't really want to do anything. We're tired and burned out, and we need to rest. Yes, we're, you know, forget the six months. We may not do anything for 12 months. We need the rest. And you're relieved. And that's good. You should be relieved. Just to rest and wait on the Lord. Now, of course, if you're one of those gifted people that we need, we're going to count the days. It's six months and six months and one day. Get busy. No, we wouldn't do that. We'll wait on the Lord for him to prompt you. So you might step up with your gifts and talents. You might be relieved. Another response is there's a concern expressed. The concern surrounds, you know, hey, what do you mean you won't let me serve? What does that mean? I've never been in a church that won't let me serve. How will anything get done? Well, listen. Maybe things will get done here. Maybe they won't get done. Whatever God would have for us. And we're okay with it. Now we've learned over the years that things do get done in his timing, in his way. But 
as you wait on the Lord, as you're strengthened, as you're built up, by the time you do jump in to serve, you'll be a blessing to the congregation here. You know, there's still a third response that I've had over the years, and that is you're worried. That there is a genuine concern and worry that in your time of waiting, you're worried that in doing nothing, God's not going to see you the same way anymore. Like you've identified yourself by all that you've done and all that you do. You've identified yourself not by who you are in Jesus Christ, but by what you do for Jesus Christ. And now in this waiting period, you've never been in a time where you haven't done anything and you're a little worried. Wait a minute. What's God going to think about me? He's going to think the same way he did when you did serve him. He loves you. And he's going to be drawing near to you as you draw near to him. And in this time, you don't need to be worried. See, here at Calvary, I want you to realize we value you for who you are, not what you do. And we want you to learn that. So you're precious and important to Jesus Christ, not because of all the great things you might do for him, but just because you're you. He loves you. Yes, you. Uh huh. The ones that are thinking, he loves me? Yes, he loves you. He loves you just as you are. And you know, he desires to use you. Don't get me wrong. He desires for us to walk as we're saved by grace through faith for those works that have been prepared beforehand for us, for sure. You know, this idleness can become disobedience at a point, for sure. But in this time, we want you to realize and we want you to learn as you begin to relate to others that we don't value people just because of what they do here. We value you because of the price that Jesus Christ paid for your life. And you're important to us whether you do anything or not. We love you and we will serve you and be there for you no matter what you do or don't do. For some of you, it is a lesson that must be learned. A lesson that must be learned. Like, you know, the Lord loves me even if I don't do anything? Yeah. And in that love, he's going to continue to stir you and draw you and teach you and help you realize that there's a joy. It's a blast to serve the Lord. Not because I have to. It's like, well, I better serve the Lord. I have to. I'm a Christian. No, no, because I get to. I get to serve the Lord. My life now gets to be a blessing to the kingdom of God and to people around me. I mean, that's cool. And that's motivating that God would take someone that wasn't a blessing to other people, that wasn't actively engaged in the kingdom of God for the work of the kingdom and seeing people get saved. And now God, he says, you know what? I love you. I want to pour myself into you and I'm going to use you. Flip over to Colossians. I love this. Great picture of the change of heart that happens in the believer. What a great picture. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 1 when you get there. It's to the right from where you are. Colossians chapter 3. I love this. This is so encouraging. Your value and worth here at Calvary is not in what you do and what you oversee or what title or position you might have. We love you for you. And I pray that we're faithful to be that conduit of love towards you. We love you for who you are in Jesus Christ and how precious your life is to him. And so there's a change that goes on. Verse 1, chapter 3, Colossians, he says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Notice verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life, notice, is hidden with Christ in God. By the way, that is the safest and best place to be on earth today, is to be hidden in Jesus Christ, to be covered by his righteousness. The Bible says that if all of our iniquities were counted up and held against us, who could stand? None of us could stand. But oh, to be hidden in Jesus. This is a key change for the believer. 
no longer interested in, no longer bound by the earth. Our new Christian mind is set on and pointed and focused on heavenly things. It's a change of perspective. Our eyes are now open spiritually and we care about heavenly things. And the more that we care about heavenly things, what happens is is you become more earthly good. As you are caught up and enraptured with the love and the grace and the mercy and the compassion of Jesus, it makes you want to scream it from the rooftops to the people in your life. To give them a word in due season to encourage them and build them up. It motivates us to give ourselves entirely over to the things of God. Now, of course, there's still this life on earth, isn't there? There are bills and battles to be dealt with here on earth. I mean, a bill that comes up that you weren't expecting, it puts you right back on the earth, doesn't it? Oh, man, what are we going to do and how are we going to handle this? But the answer is to keep your mind on heavenly things. Keep your mind focused on eternity That bill will soon pass. Those things of this earth, maybe it's not a bill or some financial thing, although I know many are dealing with that today with unemployment and underemployment. We pray for you that God would open a door. But you know, he's building your trust through the process. He's causing you to cry out to him like never before. He's bringing you to that place where, you know, Lord, you're going to provide. You've provided before. You're going to provide this time. And I trust you, even though everything from the enemy's onslaught is don't trust him, don't trust him, don't trust him. As a believer, you're like, I trust you, Lord. It could could be something in the realm of finances, but it could also be something in the realm of trinkets and toys of this world. I mean, they get us, don't they? They trip us up. That great gadget or that car or whatever it might be. You go, oh, that will satisfy me. That will make me happy. And then you get it. And the next day, the new model comes out. And you're like, that's not right, man. If I would have just waited a day. Okay, so you wait the day, you get the new model. They've got one in the pipeline that's coming out three days later. Because that's how the world works. Always dangling a carrot before you for satisfaction. If you were just to get this trinket, you'd be happy. Oh, you see the commercial with the car going down the windy road and the beach is there. Why do they play that in Colorado? That's not the way it is here. Oh, I wish I had that car and be by the beach. There is, I have checked all around Colorado, there is no beach in Colorado. The closest we get is the reservoir, man. And, you know, it'll do, but it's not the beach. So you get the car and you park it out there, taking all four spaces sideways. Why? Because now that's your car, man. Don't let me mess with my car. Brand new paint job, got the right color. And you're all excited about the car, but you're thinking about that car. I know, man, I got that new car. I want to make sure I parked it just right. And you look out the window and you go, oh, no, kids are playing in the snow next to my car. They're throwing snow. Wait, wait, get, get off of my car. Get down, get down there. And before you know it, you're going to run out there. You're going to pop a kid in the head for messing with your car. I'll tell you why. Because your heart and your mind is sold out to an earthly thing. And you're thinking about it, and you're thinking about it, and you're thinking about it, and it really didn't satisfy you, did it? It really didn't last. You know, maybe it's not some toy or trinket. Maybe it's for you. And ministering to singles, this is directly to some of you singles, so for so many years, for you, you think the solution in your life is a relationship. You think that's it. The enemy has got you to that place where if I just had a husband or I just had a wife, things would change. Listen, things would definitely change for sure. (laughs) What are you guys laughing at? What is like, 
Man, it's true. Things will change. Things might get a little better. Things might get a little worse. But listen, the solution for what you're going through isn't a relationship. It's to get your heart right with the Lord. Because you get into that relationship and you'll find out, oh, they don't completely satisfy me. It's a challenge. I didn't know. And and I thought, oh, it would be so good. It would be so great. And indeed, it could be so good and so great. But it's not going to satisfy you. The solution in your singleness right now is to receive wise, godly counsel and obey the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the solution for you right now. Single man, single woman, under the Lord, waiting on Him. Pastor Ed Taylor on the root cause of the many issues we face. We'll pick up from this spot next time and hear more on our human struggles and God's solution to them. Thanks for joining us today for Abounding Grace. We're making our way through Romans one verse at a time. To hear this study from chapter 10 again, stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, we know God loves us and saves us by grace, but for some, it raises the issue of why doesn't God just accept us the way we are? Why do we need to be saved and to change, especially when we're told by the culture we're special and ought to be loved and accepted for who we are? You know, Larry, that's a great question with some very powerful observations on our culture, especially with this word accept. Uh, Let me just say at the outset, it might shock some of our listeners, but God does accept you the way that you are. And what I mean by that is that he acknowledges his creative power in you. Like, he created us. uh, He loves us. As a matter of fact, he loves us in our worst condition. And he accepts the fact that we are who we are, and we are where we are. He accepts us so much that he made a way for us to come into deep abiding relationship with him by sending his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. Like his acceptance of us, and and again, I use that word even as we understand it culturally, his acceptance of us moved him out of love to bring acceptance into relationship. Now, of course, if we use the word accept as if we just overlook every ill, every problem, nobody in culture does, nobody in society does that. That doesn't exist, that idea of, well, I accept you for who you are. And, you know, for example, you're walking around and you see a person, maybe uh, they talk differently, you dress differently, whatever, whatever difference it is, and you have a conversation with them on the corner and say, I accept you for who you are, and then they haul off and punch you in the face. Um, that's going to change your definition of acceptance, because although you respect perhaps where they are and their differences, you don't accept them punching you in the face. There, there are parameters for relationship. So here's the thing. God loves us so much that he wants us to go into a di- he wants us to enter into a different level of acceptance and the bible says that every single born again believer is accepted in the beloved that full free deep relationship that's available to us by faith in Jesus Christ so don't be careful uh, you guys listening and be careful with the way that the world defines things and and we don't have to immediately be so afraid it's like well why doesn't god just accept us actually he does accept us and that ex- that accepting moved him to out of his love to 
go into a deeper relationship with you. Why does he require us to change? Because change is necessary. Change is necessary in order to enter into a relationship with someone, uh, especially with God. It's his design, his definition, and it's our desire and our joy to meet God where he is at the cross. Thanks for sharing those thoughts, Pastor Ed. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time and production costs. And think of this, you'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. I'm sure we've all experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, and it can be a confusing time. But rather than turn bitter and angry, you can experience healing and hope. Gene Edwards looks at David, Saul, and Absalom. I know you'll be touched as you read this incomparable story. Just call 877-30-GRACE to make your request and donation today. We'll pick up where we left off in Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.